Well, where did it all begin? Or let's say, where did Christchurch begin? Well, uh, to find that out, we'd have to go back, well, more than 12 years when a group of no more than 30 men, uh, women and, and children from Carey Baptist Church in Reading banded together to start a work in this community. I wonder if you were a part of that in the beginning. Just put your hand up if you were part of that in the beginning. Yes, well, some of us. So, um, but that's still not the beginning of the story, is it? I mean, Carey Baptist Church, well, they're um, 157 years old next, next month, I think. I don't know if anybody was here in the beginning of that. No, probably not. Um, and they were started, weren't they, by another church in Reading. The, our story is only one tiny detail of a global movement, the Jesus movement, which began 2000 years ago with just a handful of people. But today, one in three people out of eight billion in the world identify as Christians. All across this land, um, peaking over treetops and rooftops and hilltops are the spires and towers of buildings dedicated to the worship of Jesus Christ. And not only that, our entire culture and moral framework has been entirely shaped and influenced by the teaching of Jesus Christ. And despite Many of uh, the new atheists' predictions and their deepest wishes that Christianity would disappear. No, it continues to grow. It continues to grip the world and, and even advances in incredible ways across the globe. How, how could this be? How could this movement have had such an impact on our world and lives? How can we explain how can we really explain our existence here today as a church? Because humanly speaking, it's altogether improbable. Started by this obscure um, Jewish rabbi and his band of poor, working class, uneducated misfits and outcasts out of a strip of desert in the Middle East. That's where it's all come from. It is inexplicable how, how these people, with their radical, strange new message about Jesus, could grow so rapidly throughout the world, and despite fierce, organised, coordinated opposition. Despite it all, the Jesus movement has revolutionised the world, so that even here today, 2,000 years later, in Tilehurst, January 2024, we have gathered here today because we believe their message. How do you explain it? How did this movement start then? And what's the secret of its success? As I said, we're starting a new sermon series today in the book of Acts, which traces the earliest days of the Jesus movement, uh, how it started and, and why it was so successful. And so this morning, as we launch in and begin this new series, I just want to give you a big picture overview, really, of what this book is about. Some of the things that we're going to see uh, and, uh, along the way and the lessons it's going to <clears throat> teach us. So what is Acts about? If you've never read it, it's 28 chapters long 
it's a, a historical narrative and it's a historical account about the first 30 years more or less of the church. It starts here as we've read just after the resurrection of Jesus and then with his ascension into heaven and commissioning his apostles to preach the gospel in all the world. But it's actually uh, the second part of a two-part volume, this. Um, notice those first few words of our chapter, in my former book. Um, that former or first book is the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and that's also addressed to this guy, Theophilus, here. Um, and they have lots of overlapping themes and concepts and words and phrases and so on. Now, we spent four years as a church going through Luke. I don't know if we spent that long going through Acts. Don't worry. But that's what we did. Four years spent going through Luke. You can listen back to some of that stuff online if you want to get back into Luke. And in the introduction of Luke, if you remember, um, tells us a lot about his purpose for writing these, this two-volume work. Um, he wants Theophilus to... Um, oh, where's my... I had a verse here. Oh, there we go. He, he wants Theophilus to uh, be given an orderly account based on eyewitness testimony and careful investigation so that Theophilus would have certainty and confidence about the things he's learned about Jesus and this new movement. He wants Theophilus, whose name means friend of God, to have a strong faith in Jesus. So this is what Acts is doing. This is what Luke's intention is. Now this guy Theophilus, we don't know much about him. Uh, there are some fascinating theories about him. One I, I found quite compelling was uh, that perhaps he was a, a lawyer representing Paul at his trial in Rome at the very end of the book. And Luke compiles all of this as sort of evidence uh, to support and defend Luke. We, we don't really know though much about him. We know more about Luke. He was a, a Gentile not a Jew, um, and uh, therefore he kind of brings quite a unique Jew uh, non-Jewish perspective on things uh, in the New Testament. Colossians 4.14 suggests that he was a, a physician or a doctor. Um, he's also, a, so he's a clever man. There's an analytical kind of nature to Luke. He pays attention to interesting details, uh, and you'll come across that as you read his narratives. And as a... This kind of doctor, really, he was a, a companion to Paul. We read about that in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, for example. It comes up later in the book of Acts where Luke shows up. He's an eyewitness himself. So Paul, in all his suffering, had this doctor companion, his own personal physician, which is wonderful for him. And now take it together that the Luke-Acts story, it really is quite significant. It spans 60 years covering Jesus' life and the early church. It takes up about a fifth of the New Testament, so it's a substantial contribution to uh, the New Testament, and we, we must pay attention to it. But this isn't all sort of dry, historical kind of record-keeping. This is also a theological work. Luke has something to teach us, something to preach for us, lessons for us to learn. So that we would know Jesus better. So that we would trust him completely and give our lives to following him. So what I want to do now is, is share just some of the key themes or highlight some of the key themes. There's lots we're going to see. But here's some big key themes that we kind of see here in the beginning of Acts. But we'll, we'll cover more as we, we go on. So here's the first big theme we're going to be covering. And that's Jesus' work. Jesus' work. 
Um, traditionally, this book has been called the Acts of the Apostles. And that's certainly true. We certainly see them a lot. But others have suggested it's better to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because working all the time is certainly the Holy Spirit. And yet I wonder still if it's better to see it as a book about the work of Jesus himself personally. Let's say it like this. Acts is about the work of Jesus by the Spirit through the apostles. Look at that first verse again. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Began to do. Began, which of course that implies that it's not finished yet. It's continuing. Jesus is still working and teaching. And indeed is what we see in Acts again and again. Jesus personally working. In Luke's gospel, what was that work? In Luke's gospel, it was the work of salvation. Christ coming into the world to save sinners. Salvation, that's one of Luke's favourite words, in fact. And, and this work of salvation comes through the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, dying for the, the sins of the world and, and his work then of resurrection and new life and forgiveness. The work of, of overpowering death and the grave. Through this work of Jesus, we can be forgiven, we can be transformed, we can be healed. Salvation is all of Jesus. It's his work, not ours. And now here, that's Luke, and here in Acts, that, that salvation now is being rolled out and applied in the world. It's about Jesus continuing to, to his work of salvation, sending out his disciples into all the world and building his unstoppable church. Again and again, we see Jesus personally turning up calling people rescuing appearing empowering healing guiding his people it's Jesus's work this book uh, notice here uh, verse four he tells his disciples not to leave Jerusalem he tells them to wait wait I mean you think now Jesus has risen he's ascending I mean now's the time to get going now's the time to crack on with the work Jesus but he says no wait why? Wait, because it's not about your work. It's not about you jumping into it and getting your plans sorted and strategizing. You've got to wait for me to show up. It's my work, he says. Um, wait for me. Uh, they need the Holy Spirit. That's key here as well. They, they need the empowering of the Spirit. It is Christ at work through them and in them by his Holy Spirit. So Acts isn't merely about the apostles and what the early church got up to. It's about what Jesus was doing. And that will teach us what Jesus is still doing now, today. He's still working. And his mission hasn't changed. Building his church, wonderfully saving sinful people, putting their broken lives back together. Acts is about Jesus' work. Second theme I want to highlight is Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom, that's there, isn't it? In verse 3, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Uh, his, that 40 days of appearances after his resurrection, what's the theme of much of his teaching? It's the kingdom of God. And it's also the theme of the disciples' question in verse 6. They want to know when the kingdom of Israel was about to be 
restored? And that's, of course, an understandable question. Jesus is risen. He's conquered death. Surely now, what the scriptures have been hoping for, that, that Israel will be liberated and exalted above the nations and all people would flood in and worship God. Now, now's the time for that, isn't it, Jesus? Why haven't you done it yet? It's been 40 days. What's going on? But actually, their perception of this kingdom was far too small, too narrow. As Jesus goes on to answer them by saying that now is not the time for the restoration of the kingdom. Now is the time for the expansion of the kingdom. Or to put it another way, the restoration of the kingdom will be a gradual one. Not as some kind of geopolitical, materialistic, uh, militaristic uh, nation state, but through the spirit and his empowered people, this kingdom would grow into a worldwide spiritual body, the church, the true Israel. And this isn't time for the end. It's not the end yet. This is just the beginning, Jesus is saying. There's a whole world who need to be reached with the good news about me, who need to be invited and brought in to the kingdom under the rule of Jesus. That's why he says at the end of, of Luke uh, chapter 24, verse 27, that he says, repentance and forgiveness will be preached in all the world to all nations. That's what needs to happen now. Here in, in verse uh, 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is a key verse for, for us, really. It says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's this commission. This is their mission to preach the good news of salvation to all the world. It's to grow the kingdom. Luke often talks about this in Acts. The, the, the word growing, the, the church growing, the gospel growing and so on. Growth of the kingdom. It'll start here in Jerusalem, but, but like a stone that gets hurled into a pool of water, the ripples will roll out from the centre, out to Judea in the south. That's chapters 1 to 7. Out to Samaria in the north. That's chapters 8 to 12. And then on to the ends of the earth, which is in chapters 13 to 28. So it's the structure of the book right there. So this isn't the end of the story, boys, Jesus is saying. This is the beginning. My kingdom needs to grow. It needs to engulf the whole world. It needs to reach Reading and Tilehurst and Fulbrook Crescent and then beyond as well. That's why, as we'll see, the kingdom of God is a key theme in the preaching of the apostles. They go on preaching the kingdom. Acts is about Jesus' kingdom growing in the world as people are saved. A third theme I want to highlight is about Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples. Luke um, really wants to show us what these first disciples of Jesus were like in order to show us what it means for us to be disciples and followers of Jesus as well. So uh, we get these lovely glimpses in Acts of the church life, the work of the disciples together and the apostles. You get at the end of chapter 2 and chapter 4, for example, these glimpses of them gathering for worship and prayer and breaking bread. They were caring for each other. They were sharing their possessions. Um, They were living life in Christ together as his disciples. And we see that wherever the disciples went, they proclaimed the gospel. People get healed. 
Um, entire communities are turned upside down and transformed. Perhaps the two main figures, the main disciples, are the apostles Peter and Paul in the book of Acts. Uh, their lives both mirror one another. Uh, but ultimately their lives follow in the example and pattern of Jesus Christ himself, especially in his suffering and death. For Luke, you see, discipleship, you see this in his gospel, you see it in Acts, discipleship is cross-shaped. To be a follower of Jesus is to live a cross-shaped life. Luke chapter 9, for example, there we have those famous words of Jesus, that if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross, you've got to lose your life, you've got to die to self. That's the way of discipleship. That's the way of Jesus. So we'll see in Acts, the persecution, for example, of the disciples. We'll see them suffering. Some of them get killed. Some of them are imprisoned and flogged and shipwrecked and stoned. The growth of the kingdom in Acts is painful and it's bloody. But just as with Jesus, through death there is life. There's life. The church grows. People are delivered and rescued. To be a follower of Jesus, we must be ready to lay down everything for him. To die to ourselves so that others might live. The Christian life is about following Jesus. And the closer you follow him, the more your life will start to look like Jesus' life. And what was his life? Suffering. Then glory. That's the pattern of discipleship. Finally, a, a final theme to see is that of Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan, or perhaps I should say his sovereign plan. This is clear again in the book of Acts. All through it, uh, we see the hand of God on his church and on his world. He's the one planning and strategizing. He's always the one kind of calling the shots directing and guiding don't go over there go over here instead reach that person i'm going to lift you up from there i'm going to plop you over there to reach that person you've got this hand of god sovereignly directing his church in this mission Uh, fulfillment that word fulfillment that's another key theme in luke in luke chapter 24 verse 44 for example he said to them this is what i told you while i was still with you Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he commissions them to go. So here, here in Acts 1, you, you get he's, he's talking here about the spirit whom the father promised. And that promise is about to be fulfilled. God has a plan. He has his promises and they will be fulfilled through his sovereign plans and power. See, God has a plan and he's sovereignly working it all out even in their hard times, even in the suffering that they have to go through and oppression and persecution and evil intentions and so on. God uses all of them to grow his kingdom in Acts. Things that as you're reading, you think that's going to be a blow to them. Surely that's going to be catastrophic to the church. But no, disaster turns into opportunity. Setbacks turn into salvation. And many lives are saved. God is sovereignly working. I love an example here in Acts. We'll come to this in chapter 5. The apostles, they've been arrested. Oh no, what's going to happen? They're on 
Uh, they're being questioned. Oh no, what's going to happen? The Jews are furious with them. Oh no, what's going to happen? And, and then a highly respected Pharisee called Gamaliel, he, he steps up and he says, he says, leave these men alone, he says. If this new Jesus movement isn't from God, it will surely fizzle out like we've seen many times before. But if it is from God, there is nothing you can do to stop it, he says. In fact, opposing it will mean you're really fighting against God. The sovereign plan of God. Nothing can stop this plan. The gospel cannot be chained, even when his disciples are chained. The church will grow. And it certainly has. 2,000 years later, it's engulfed the world. Why? Because of God's sovereign plan. We might not see much going on from our perspective in the growth of the kingdom, perhaps here in the UK. Maybe we see a lot of things that discourage us, actually. But we can trust in Christ and his plan, his sovereign plan and purposes. Acts is all about the sovereign plan of Jesus being fulfilled. Well, those are some of the key themes in the book of Acts. Jesus' work and kingdom, his disciples and his plan. And that, maybe that is one way we could put, uh, sort of summarize the book of Acts. It's the continuing words and work of Jesus to build his kingdom in the whole world through spirit-empowered disciples. Now, what are we meant to learn from some of this? Well, let me outline five, very briefly, five key lessons I think we're going to be shown as we go through Acts. And hopefully these will stir us up and whet our appetite and get us excited about God's word. The first is this. Acts is going to deepen our trust in Jesus. That's what I believe. Acts is going to deepen our trust in Jesus. Remember, Luke writes this to give Theophilus certainty and showing us the the powerful work of Jesus, leading, guiding, strengthening, saving. We're encouraged. We can trust Jesus as we follow him and despite our suffering. Now, certainly that will mean trusting Christ in the first place. Luke is going to call you. If you're here today and sharing this sermon series with us and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you are going to be called to come and follow him. You're going to be called to repent and turn from your sins. You're going to be called to to trust in the Messiah who gave his life for you and surrender everything to him. You're going to be called to be a follower of Jesus. But he's going to call the rest of us, those who believe and do trust in Jesus and know him to trust him more. Even in the hardest of circumstances, he's trustworthy, he is powerful, he is with us like he was with them. We can give him our our whole lives, no matter what. So Acts is going to deepen our trust in Jesus. Secondly, it's going to refine our understanding of the work of the Spirit. It's going to refine our understanding of the work of the Spirit. The Spirit, he's a key player, isn't he, in the book of Acts, if you've ever read it. And we'll look more at his ministry and work. If you are a Christian here this morning, you trust Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. He gives us power. He gives us gifts. He gives us opportunities and, and the ability to meet those opportunities. He fills us. He works in us. He works through us. 
And one of the main ways we actually see that in the book of Acts, uh, over and over again, actually, it's fascinating, study, when, when the Spirit turns up, it, it always shows itself here in words. Usually in the preaching of the gospel, in, in prophecy, in proclamation. When, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God, it will be evident here. In the things you say, in the, in the speaking of Christ, you can't help yourself. You can't help but speak of what you've seen and heard the apostles say. They can't help it. If you are a spirit-filled Christian, it will be evident in the things you say. But we also see his miraculous work in Acts 2. He's healing, he's driving out demons, he's raising the dead, he's transforming lives. He gives visions, he gives warnings, he gives guidance. That There's a vibrant, dynamic life of the Spirit in his church so there's much for us to learn about his work and refine our understanding third lesson it's going to expand our vision for the world it's going to expand our vision for the world we've seen clearly jesus's intention to grow the whole uh, the kingdom in the whole world that's something we have to grasp too isn't it we need our vision expanding looking up and out more and more to the ends of the earth All people, all kinds of people who need Jesus. I wonder sometimes if our vision, your vision, is too small, too narrow. Maybe we have kind of very little perspective or hope for Tilehurst and our community or or our colleagues and our neighbours or our family or our friends and so on. Our vision, our expectation is too small, too low. Acts is going to expand our vision for the kingdom. To teach us to be a church who care about the whole world hearing the good news about Jesus. Maybe we, maybe we like it. We, maybe we like it like this. We like the nice little cosy church. I like, I like it nice and small. I'm looking for a small church. Okay, well that's fair enough. But what about the growth of the kingdom too? What about more and more people coming to know Jesus? Don't we care about that? Maybe God has something bigger for us. Acts will enlarge our vision for the world. And the final thing of all the things, there'll be many lessons we learn, but here's another. It's going to sharpen our focus on the mission. It's going to sharpen our focus on the mission. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, reaching the lost, growing the church. That's our purpose and mission. Maybe we've lost sight of that too. Maybe that edge has been dulled a bit. Maybe we need refocusing on what Jesus calls his church to do. One of the ways this is going to be evident is in our prayer life as a church. This is what we want to look at really for. Is it evident in our prayer life as a church? Earlier this month we had a week of prayer, which was wonderful and encouraging. Let me ask you this question though. If God were to answer... Just imagine this, if God were to answer every single prayer we prayed in our week of prayer, every single one, who would benefit the most? Would it be mainly us or you? Of course, there's lots of things we need to pray for ourselves. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Well, let me put it another way. If God were to answer every single prayer we prayed in that week of prayer, how many people would have become Christians? 
How much more would the kingdom groan among us? Remember the Lord's Prayer? We, we looked at that in our week of prayer. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Right at the top, before we get to talking about our needs, right at the top is what? Your kingdom come. That should be the priority in our praying as well as in our whole lives. So our focus. We need it sharpening, perhaps, on this mission. Which leads us to one final lesson I think Acts is going to do for us. It's going to ignite or reignite our, pas- our passion for the lost. When Christchurch first started all those years ago, we had a clear vision coming into it that we wanted to reach this community with the gospel. And I, I don't really want to go back to anything less than that. But something far more, far more powerful, far more passionate to have a, a white, hot, burning passion to see lost people saved from sin and Satan and death. Acts is going to ignite our passion. Is that our passion? Is it our driving motivation? Do we love the people in our lives enough that we're willing to die to ourselves, to lay down our lives a little bit so that they get to hear the good news of Christ risen and ascended? Are we so passionately in love with Jesus that we give ourselves fully to his calling and the building of his kingdom here? It's going to ignite our passion for the lost, I trust. I've called this series the, the Jesus Movement. The Jesus Movement. Our, our church, you see, shouldn't be a dead end here. It's, it's not a place to settle and get comfy. This church should be a movement, a campaign to advance the kingdom of Christ. The ripples has, have been spreading out from Jerusalem for 2,000 years. They've become great waves washing over the earth. But, but will those waves find their end here? Is Christchurch a stubborn, rocky cliff where those ripples meet their end? Or, or will the movement spread through us as we trust Christ, our ascended King? Filled with the spirit of power, with a vision for the world, a razor-sharp focus on our mission and a burning passion for salvation. Brothers and sisters, the movement's begun. But it's not over yet. It's begun in in Christ who has conquered. Death is defeated. Satan has been constrained. Sins can be forgiven. New life has been offered and poured out. The lowest can be raised up now. The least can be exalted. The lost can be found. The broken can be healed. The despairing can have hope. The dying can be raised to life. The movement has begun. Nothing can stop it. This is what Acts is about. Are you ready to join the movement?